When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash bookstacked. That's audibletrial.com slash bookstacked. You're listening to Bookmarked, a young adult book podcast brought to you by bookstacked.com. This is episode 40, and today we're looking back at the year 2020. Wish us luck. We've got that coming up, so stay with us. All right, here we are. December. <laughs> How was your guys' year? Good. Good. <laughs> good. Uh, I, mean, I mean, bad, but I'm going to say good. <laughs> it's almost over, so that feels like a win. One of the things we want to do in this episode is talk about this year and what it's meant for young adult uh, fiction and the publishing industry as a whole, because, yeah, it's just been a chaotic year. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go around and we're each going to share uh, something that surprised us or something that stood out to us uh, from this year. And we're just going to discuss them. And it's going to be a pretty low-key podcast episode. I'm going to keep it simple. Uh, but I think we, we were just talking, uh, Spencer and I, right before we started recording. And uh, sometimes simple is better, especially when everything's been chaotic. So. Um, before we do that, let's go ahead and introduce everybody. I just mentioned Spencer, so hi, Spencer. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. We also have Chelsea. Hey. And we have Mary. Hello. So, and then, of course, my name, myself, Saul. I always forget to introduce myself. Yeah, it's great to have you guys here. I do have to say, before we jump into everything, Chelsea has been really busy lately. And you have, like, been producing a ton of great stuff for Bookstack. And I just kind of want to highlight some of it. I mean, obviously, our subscribers probably saw the interview that you did with um, Anna Mariano, which was our most recent episode we produced. So that was awesome. This is your first time doing a solo podcast, but also I think your first time interviewing somebody. So how was that experience for you? Yeah, it was my first time with all of that. It was awesome. She was really cool. Definitely check out her book if you haven't yet, uh, called This Is How We Fly. It's a Quidditch story with a Cinderella retelling. It's a really interesting book and it was really cool to like get her take on it. Um, so no, we, we had a lot of fun chatting and I'm, I'm glad that that, that is up and, and people can hear it. And I'm glad people can finally read her book. I read it like several months ago. So it's nice now that it's hitting the shelves and, and other people are reading it too. I saw Anna's book on the bookshelf um, just the other day, and it was really exciting. I love when we get to 
interview and work with authors at Bookstacked and then to actually see their work out on the shelves is really exciting. Yeah, I thought it was a great interview. And I haven't read the book, but I've done some reporting for Quidditch for Bookstacked in the past. And uh, it was just so interesting to see that kind of uh, crop back into my life a little bit through the through a book. Like, it's so interesting that she was able to write a book about Quidditch, the real life Quidditch, just in case anybody was confused. This isn't like a Harry Potter fan fiction we're talking about. Um, you can get all the details in that episode. Uh, just look in your feeds. It's the last episode we released for this one. Apart from that, you reviewed the book, and then you also wrote your own novel for National Novel Writing Month and pretty much blogged it throughout the entire month on Bookstack. Which I am incredibly grateful that you wrote content for the site, but also I'm kind of in awe that you were able to juggle writing content for the website while also writing a novel. Yeah, it was November was a busy month. Um, I think the thing that shocked me the most about Nano and about writing the novel and doing all the other things is that the the feedback I kept getting from people was like, how do you have enough time to do this? Like, where, where are you finding time? And the truth is, I don't know if it's 2020, like, lockdown that's helping or what, but the truth is, it's not as hard as you think it's going to be. It's a couple hours a day, and it feels... The more and more you do it, the easier and easier it feels. And that's really what I wanted people to, that's really what I've been telling everyone and what I want people to know about it is you can do it too. Like anybody can do it. Everybody has a novel in them. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun to, to see that firsthand. And it was a lot of fun to sort of get that out. The last one, I will say the last one took me like two or three weeks to write because I was just so done looking at computer screens. I was like, I can't, I can't think of any more words. I'm out, (laughs) but. I'm glad I was able to sort of wrap it up and and do that as well. It's funny though, I haven't looked at the novel since. It it exists, it's saved in several places, it's not going anywhere. But like I I'm getting myself some some distance from it before I take another look. But no, it was it was a lot of fun and a really cool project and I would encourage anyone with any month of their year to to give it a go. It's hard to talk about yeah, your own work, but I'll plug um an article I wrote on Booksack recently about uh, young adult epistolary novels, um which I ended up writing just because I'm teaching it to a group of high school kids right now. So we had a lot of fun the last couple of weeks studying epistolary novels and reading excerpts from YA books like The Perks of Being a Wallflower and Dear Martin and Dear Rachel Maddow, and then I had them all write me uh, letters of their own uh, to kind of wrap up the little mini unit we did. And so I've been reading those the last couple of days and uh, it's been a really, really great experience reading their creative works. Um, so it's been really fun to be able to bring YA into my classroom and my students were really into it. So it was a good experience. You know, what was so neat about that article is how you really go back to like the roots of it. And you even talk about like some of the work that's published in the 1700s or the 18th century and everything and I just thought it was so interesting and every time you write anything you like bring in a historical perspective which I absolutely love and so yeah that's for sure something else that should be highlighted and I'm going to put links to Spencer's article and all of Chelsea's work in the show notes so if any of our readers want to check any of those out which I definitely encourage you to do uh, you'll have quick access to those. Apart from that, before we jump in, I just want to remind everybody that if they like the show, please uh, subscribe and leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. That helps us a ton and helps people 
find our show. And we're so thankful for the many people who have reached out and who have been listening and who have subscribed. I feel like this year, I mean, we had a couple of really kind reviews in Apple Podcasts, but I also had a couple of individuals uh, reach out. I had at least one person reach out to me individually on on my Instagram and just mention that they really enjoyed listening to the podcast. And we also got tagged by a few people as well. We were recommended a couple of times on Instagram to other readers. And so I just, we really appreciate all of that. We've said it before, but it's just awesome to know that we're not talking into the void because those little moments where we, we get those reviews or when somebody kind of mentions us or gives us a shout out on social media, those are the moments where we're really able to to interact with, with listeners. Otherwise, it's just us <laughs> in our little bubble. So it's just fantastic and awesome. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. And we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review if you've enjoyed this podcast. So moving on, biggest takeaways of 2020. So like I said earlier, the big question here is what is something that stood out to you or what is maybe something that surprised you and about YA, but it can even go beyond YA, just the publishing industry as a whole. It's all connected. And I'm really interested to hear uh, what you guys have thought about. So yeah, what what has surprised you or what would be your big takeaway for YA in 2020? Um, I think mine was probably that, and this has been going on for a few years now, YA movies aren't as big, but like we had a few come out this year. So like My Chemical Hearts came out on Amazon earlier this year. Lillian Dash came out as a Netflix series like a few weeks ago. And obviously we just got the Shadow and Bone teaser a few days ago or so. But you kind of have to search for those things now. You can't because it doesn't seem like a lot of um, publishers or authors are pushing those things now about how their work is being made for the screen. It's more that like you find out because Netflix is like putting out a trailer for it or that like an interview comes in with Lily Reinhardt and you're like, huh, I didn't know that was becoming a movie. (laughs) It was about a year ago we did a similar episode where we talked about the decade and what's been changing in the decade. And it seems like, I don't know if it was you, Mary, or if it was somebody else, but somebody brought up the fact that people are kind of moving away from movies or the publishing industry seems to when it comes to adaptations. And there's been a huge influx in like even television, for example. And it's all going to like Netflix, like you mentioned, um, or Hulu. And I think we really saw that this year. And this obviously goes beyond just the book industry. This is talking about the film industry. And there's a huge question mark right now about the future of what the film industry is going to look like, especially when you have people like Warner Brothers announcing that they're going to be releasing all of their movies on HBO Max, which just to remind everybody, Warner Brothers owns like Harry Potter, for example. So you you wonder, uh, (laughs) that's a whole thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Fantastic piece. But you wonder... You It even adds more uncertainty to like Fantastic Beasts and everything. And there were so many announcements this year about shows being picked up on television for streaming services. Um, we even just got like a Shadow and Bone teaser trailer that was released this week. So for sure, everything's just kind of moving away from from movies. Like there isn't the one big thing. There are now suddenly so many different options. And some of them are kind of obscure. And it's kind of given us 
it sort of forces us to choose what we do and don't want to watch, if that makes sense. I, I totally agree with you, Mary. I think there's also been a real shift from, especially for, I think there's a difference between the like one-off contemporary YA books, something like Fault in Our Stars or Five Feet Apart or like Chemical Hearts, that like those make sense for a movie. But we've also seen just a real shift for the like big epics where there's more than one book where it kind of makes more sense if they're not willing to make five movies of something, which they're not as much anymore to turn them into TV series. I think one of the best examples of that is the Shadowhunter series that like as a movie, it was a little bit of a disaster, but as a TV show, it ran three seasons and was very, very popular. Um, and they were able to expand that world a whole lot more. So I think I'm excited for the transition of things like Shadow and I think Shadow and Bones as a TV show makes a lot more sense and you can get into a lot more of what she's created and um her other book series that are in that world too than if you were trying to do a movie where it's like maybe we'll get more but who knows um so I'm I'm kind of excited about that shift but I do think it's a little um strange how I think Mary what you're saying about the attention on it feels less like when a twilight movie came out everybody knew exactly when it was happening and even like when fault in our stars came out i feel like that was a much bigger deal than maybe ya releases are now um but i think that also could just be the change in how we like how advertising happens now that people like watch normal tv or cable tv a lot less things like that but i think it's it's an interesting shift for sure i've just noticed like Netflix is particularly notorious for what, what Mary's talking about, how they'll just drop something out of nowhere sometimes, like almost by surprise. And whereas like when I think of something um, like back when, whether it was Twilight or Percy Jackson, when those movies were first coming out, how I would log on to fan sites and follow the casting and, and wait for the first screenshot from the first day of filming. And, and I would follow those movies being made for like, sometimes years before you'd actually ever see the finished product. And now I'll just log on to Netflix one afternoon and I'll be like, oh my gosh, like there's a whole series here for this book I love. I didn't even know this was happening. And so sometimes it's a pleasant surprise, but it definitely is interesting. And sometimes I notice with, at least with Netflix, things get lost. Like sometimes things are coming out that I'm not even aware of. Um, even as tuned in as we are, you know, being on Bookstacked and things, there's occasionally just like a surprise release or a surprise announcement that you miss. So it'll be interesting going into 2021, um, as I'm sure there's been a lot of projects that have been kind of delayed. I bet we'll see a bunch of things kind of drop out of nowhere in the next year or two that I'm sure I've forgotten about. I feel like the fact that everything is moving to streaming I don't know, this is my perception, and I'm obviously not in this industry, but it, it feels like streaming companies are a lot more eager to acquire different rights and properties. Um, I'm just going through like our book-to-film queue on our website of like all the articles we've written over this year. You have Percy Jackson, obviously, Lee Bardugo. You've got The Uglies by Scott Westerfeld. I forgot about that one. Um, Marie Lou's War Cross, The Kane Chronicles from Rick Riordan, Victoria Aveyard's in talks right now to adapt her book, Realm Breaker, which comes out next year. Owen Colfer had another thing picked up, Case and Calendars, Felix Ever After. I can go on and on and on. <laughs> There's so many, but it, it also kind of makes you wonder how many of them are actually going to see the light of day, you know? 
because you see that with with movies as well at a certain point at least especially probably about 10 years ago i feel like movie studios were grabbing every single ya title they could possibly get their hands on and they were paying big money for them but then we never really saw anything come of them i guess like the red queen movie would be an example it's victoria aveyard says it's still in it's still in production and it hasn't halted but um it's been years since we've really seen a, a substantive a substance sub oh my gosh a proper update <laughs> for that movie. But anyway, I just kind of wonder, like, like how many of these, these movies, we have so many that are being picked up, how many of them are actually going to make it to the finish line? Yeah, and I, um, I actually work in film and television in my career job. And it is true that stuff takes forever to move through development for hundreds of different reasons. But I do think with YA, I do think there was around the time of Twilight and the Hunger Games, for sure, I think there was this, like, swarm of let's make everything into a big movie and it'll make us billions of dollars. And then I think you saw things like Shadowhunters or, like, even Divergent didn't do great, where I think the movie industry is very laser-focused on what it thinks will be successful based on recent examples. So it's like, Hunger Games and Twilight did great. Let's do a bunch more of those. Oh, no, those didn't do as great because now there's YA fatigue. Let's not do those anymore. So it just kind of like goes in these waves. And I think that's why we're seeing more TV because I think the couple of TV shows that have done it well have done it really well and have like succeeded. Um, but I think especially with something as big as like the Red Queen or Artemis Fowl or um, like you see the Golden Compass, the television show, um, His Dark Materials now, you you want them to get those things right, and they know how much people want them to get it right, that they're willing to take more time and they're not willing to, like, rush them if it's going to be. Or you see, like, I think also a big part of this, too, is that authors now aren't scared to voice their opinions. Like, Rick Rorden is not scared to say he thinks those movies are bad and he's putting his foot down. And you also see the audience that's going to pay for that is supporting him. They're rooting for him. So, like, the studios suddenly have to also deal with the fact that there are authors whose voices are important now and who have like their own fan following as people and they've got to pay attention to that too. So I think it's a really complicated system, but I am excited to see, see what comes next. I'm really excited for the Shadow and Bones TV series, I think, especially because that author specifically like is involved and is happy with what's happening. And I think that makes it even better and, and adds to the anticipation. And I, I hope, anyways, I'm very hopeful going forward that the quality of these adaptations are improving. Like, that's the feeling that I get, is that what I've seen in recent years, and it's easy to see in, like, the remakes, like like we just mentioned, The Golden Compass. Like, I like that TV show much more than I like that movie that came out. I'm confident I'm going to like the Percy Jackson TV series much more than I liked those Percy Jackson movies that came out. I look at things like, um, one of my favorite things, I think it came out in 2020. It might have been a 2019 release, but John Green's uh, Looking for Alaska, the Hulu TV series, I enjoyed much more than, than I enjoyed the Fulmar Stars or Paper Towns movie adaptations. So personally, I, I like this direction that we're going with TV and streaming. I feel like it leads to, like Chelsea said, more room for the authors to have input and influence, which generally leads to better products in the end. And I remain hopeful. I know I tweeted the other day um, when Disney was announcing a bunch of things that I'm a little nervous for Percy Jackson and uh, the Mysterious Benedict Society and other things after the the train wreck that was Artemis Fowl. It's like, I don't know that I want Disney um, adapting all my 
favorite books, but even then, I, I, I think that'll turn out much better than, than projects in your past. Some great perspectives, great points. I think that was a great takeaway, Mary. For sure, we talk about books, but so many, I mean, you just have to scroll through our past episodes. So much of what we talk about is also film and television because the two industries are really very connected, very tied together. Uh, so that was a great, that was a great point. What about you, Spencer? What has been a takeaway for you? Of course, this year will always, 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 we have, we come back to this pandemic and to COVID-19 and, and how it affected the industry. And, um, and something that I was thinking about as I was reflecting was, was that in March and, um, and April, I was very concerned. We saw at the start of this pandemic, a lot of books being pushed back. And for some authors, that was really difficult and, and, you know, really did have an effect. I don't want to downplay it. But at the same time, I, I putting at least personally myself back then, I was really worried that there were going to be like no books this year and that, um, everything would be delayed and that it was just going to be a terrible year for YA. Um, I was very pessimistic about it all. So it was interesting to, to reflect in preparation for this podcast and look back and think like, well, a lot of, like really great books came out this year and there were a lot of really big releases too. And something that I particularly, I'm sure we'll get to, to Midnight Sun and, and Songbird, uh, Ballad of Snakes and, and later. Um, but something that I wanted to, to mention so we don't forget about it was also just the really wonderful reactions of the book community online. I had a really great time this year participating in, um, online versions of like Yalfest and everywhere. Um, book festival and author events um, and readings online and social media takeovers. Um, I felt like the industry got very creative and, and it was actually interesting that more than ever during this pandemic, I think I felt connected to authors and the book community online, especially as someone who uh, lives in Canada. You know, we don't always get festivals or author visits um, too often. Uh, they're kind of few and far between. And so this year, more than ever, I've been able to join in on events, and that's something that I, I hope will even continue going forward, um, that it will be a lasting change, that they'll make more things accessible via online to people who can't travel or who can't leave their homes, because uh, I really loved just joining on, on everything that I could this year, and it's something that I'll remember going forward. Just a great point, for sure. Um, that was one of the things I wanted to... You just kind of touched on one of the things that was part of my takeaway, although I was kind of more general thing and yours is kind of more specific. But but it was just the way books are being marketed has has changed because I think it kind of all fits under that umbrella a little bit. When it, when it comes to the delays, we saw that for sure. Like even This Is How We Fly with Anna Mariano, the book we were talking about earlier, when they originally pitched that book to us was at the end of the summer, I think. And they asked us to, to review it and, and interview the author. It was going to come out in October, but then they pushed it back to December. So we still ended up doing the interview in October and released it just a couple of months later. Uh, but I saw a lot of that, of release dates being pushed back. Something else, too, just kind of that whole transition to digital, the way authors are um, interacting with people. I think one of the reasons why we saw so many, one of the reasons why we saw so many authors online more and felt their presence more is because like they couldn't go on book tours and stuff during this year uh so they had to get really creative with the way they were promoting their books and their content and oftentimes that seemed to take the form of uh, live streams or instagram stories or instagram live events and stuff like that 
uh, it would for sure is super, super interesting. I'm really interested to see what happens next, I think, because I do feel like I got a much better, like a more intimate sense of authors this year because we were like in their home offices listening to them talk about the book rather than reading an interview third person, I went to their book signing and here's what happened kind of thing. But I also think, I think the the one big one is the announcement from BookCon that they're permanently moving away from having in-person um, BookCon. And I, I mean, I understood why it got canceled this year, but I also went in 2019 and it really like was the thing that re-sparked my interest in YA and me reading YA and me joining you guys and doing a lot of things. And the biggest part about that was the in-person aspect of it. It was the fact that I was in this room with like thousands of other people who were super excited about the same thing I was. And I think it's, it was definitely disappointing to read that, that they didn't want to have that anymore. And I think similarly, like there is, I think it's wonderful that these like live streams and these panels are being sent to everybody. But I also think there's a way to do that while still incorporating the in-person. And I think a lot of authors have said, like, they're super excited to get back out there and meet fans once things are safer. But I think it'll be interesting to see how much of that is merged in, where, like, they do start um, streaming all their panels and things like that. And if we have permanently lost part of it, too, which I think would be a bit of a bummer, because I do think things like BookCon are, are really amazing and important if you can can get to them. And, and I think they do a lot of good for the publishing industry um, and for readers especially. And so, I don't know, I think it's it's interesting to see what they've come up with and it'll be interesting to see how they use it moving forward, especially once like being in person is safe again. Well, I mean, BookCon is tied to Book Expo. So that entire week of book events, the fact that that's not going to be happening anymore, or at least doesn't seem like it's going to be happening the way it has, historically is is massive because that is the premier publishing event not just in YA but in all of publishing period and i agree with you 100% like i i got to go to book expo and book con in 2018 and it's such a great environment it's such a cool experience like all of the authors are there <laughs> and you never get that it's almost like the avengers of of uh of the publishing industry and it's unfortunate that's happening and i think Part of it's not just that they don't necessarily want to continue that anymore, but I think it's they might not be in a position to do that anymore, which is kind of a little troubling just with with the economy and all the huge hits that people have taken this year for I think the company's Read Pop is the name of the company that puts it on. Their entire operation revolves around conferences and conventions and events like this. And now they've gone an entire year without being able to to uh run any of those and i can only I, I well i can't even really imagine the amounts of money that must have been lost this year because of that it, it's really unfortunate but yeah i think there's a bad side and there's a and there's an upside it's a, such a shame that we're not going to be getting book expo and book con um i in my heart i hope that those someday return in the way that they did but i don't know if that that is going to happen it, the way, at least when they announced it, it didn't sound like it. Well, I know they said they they might they might try to keep it up in some form, but that might be like online or something. But I I do hope we have these in person events in the future. But I do think, and, and we probably will almost surely. But 
I do think in addition to those in-person events, we are going to start getting online events. And Y'all West was, in my opinion, I thought Y'all West was fantastic, just kind of like what Spencer was saying earlier. And I, there were a few hiccups, <laughs> I remember, um, in the week leading up to it and then also during it, a, a few, yeah, a few tensions there. Nothing's quite perfect, but for the most part, for an online event, I thought it was handled very, very well. I had a lot of fun. I tried to do another online event that was kind of similar to that, and all of the panels were like pre-recorded and everything, and for some reason, that kind of like lost some of the meaning for me, even though I guess really it wasn't that big of a difference, like I'm still in front of a screen watching people talk, but something about it not being live just made it feel like I was watching YouTube videos that I couldn't like fast forward through the boring parts on, um, and so I hope like the, I hope we will have more like live events and stuff. But I, overall, I was very impressed with the way Y'all West was organized, and I did like that too. Like I thought it was really neat. I think it was me, Spencer, and Christy, us three, who were covering Y'all West that weekend, and it was pretty neat that we were all spread out. Christy's on the other side of the country, Spencer's in a different country. Um, we were all able to contribute to the. Uh, the coverage of that because we were all able to attend, which is pretty neat, and pretty awesome. Um, one other thing I kind of wanted to mention with that too is from a book reviewer's perspective, and I'm sure like a lot of booktubers and just anybody else who who sometimes reaches out to publishers and stuff, something I saw was the, I don't want to say the rise of digital arcs, but like a full transition to digital arcs. I saw so many publicists for years, they've always offered um, digital advanced readers copies and stuff. Um, but usually there's a physical book option as well. And if you want, and if they have copies available, they'll send you the physical copies. But this year I saw a lot of just like no physical copies. We're only doing digital, only doing digital books. And I thought that was very interesting as well. Uh, just again, the way they're, they're marketing books, the way they're promoting books, it's, it's changing, and I think that's something that probably will stick around, which is unfortunate because sometimes when you get an advanced reader's copy, especially if it's a book that you love, it kind of feels like this neat little collector's item <laughs> that uh, you you shouldn't sell, just in case anybody, um, especially some booktubers out there, don't realize you should not sell advanced reader's copies. Uh but it's kind of like a cool little thing you can keep for yourself on your bookshelf, you know? And it's unfortunate that I don't think they'll completely go away, but I think there is going to be a much, much bigger emphasis on digital copies moving forward. I was just going to add from a, a reader's perspective, even, um, I've personally just been reading more ebooks and digital ever than ever before. I might just be, be late to the party. I'm sure some of us are already there, but this was like the first year I ever bought and paid for an ebook. I also like signed up with my library to be able to borrow ebooks. I even had paid for a scribed membership for a, a time during the pandemic. This was all new to me. I started reading books on my iPad and I've always been kind of resistant to that idea because I, I really do prefer physical reading. Um, but, uh, during the start of the pandemic, when my library closed down and my access to books was lost, I was like, shoot, I got to figure this out. And that's probably a habit that I'll stick with. Uh, I'll probably read more digital in the future than, than I ever did in the past. So. Wow, I didn't know that you had been <laughs> keeping away from that all these, this time. I do have to yeah. say, 
reading from an actual e-reader is better than an iPad, in my experience, just because you get the uh, the simulated paper display. Yeah, I was just gonna say for because I know I know there must be people listening, and I'm one of them where like I've had an e-reader since before they. I think I had one when I was like 13, like more than 10 years ago. I've had them for a very long time, and I really appreciate the ease of them. But I am someone who like if it's not the physical book, it's a little bit harder to read for me. And so I think with arcs, but with also just books in general, I think. And I also, I find it interesting, too, that when authors do events or when publishers, or like you were saying with booktubers, they're holding the physical book. Like, there is something to the physical book that is important to everybody who's selling it. That I do think it's a little strange that they've moved into digital arcs as hard as they have. Um, I think a big part of that is all the editorial assistants are working from home and they can't mail out hundreds of copies. And so I understand that part of it. But I do hope that when they go back to an office, arcs might be... Uh, physical arcs might be an option again because I am definitely on the team of physical books are always always the best. Digital digital's fine. It's great. If you gotta use it, it's cool. But no. Gotta gotta have that real book. Also, bookshelf tours are too much of a thing. You can't get rid of those. Wait, that's how like so many book Instagram and book YouTubers, those are the best ones when they're like, look at all my beautiful books. And it would just be a shame if it was just like, look at my Kindle, isn't it pretty? It's like, not the same. I actually really love that. And my Kindle and I use physical books more, but like, I just love reading on an e-reader. If it's something as big as same Midnight Sun, because that takes up like a quarter of my bookshelf. Oh, no, Midnight Sun was so good because you felt so accomplished. Afterwards, you were like holding it and were like, I read this whole thing. Go me. And actually that, I think Spencer mentioned it too, but that was kind of my takeaway for this year. I really appreciated how, I think it happened in a couple different industries, especially with entertainment. There was sort of this attitude of like, eh, just give it to them. It's been a rough year. Let them have it. We got Hamilton just dropped on Disney Plus with no extra money. It was fantastic. Taylor Swift just constantly, have another album, why not? Great, it's the dream. But I think we also got that with YA Books, where we got a Hunger Games prequel and Midnight Sun. Here you go, have fun, enjoy, live your best life. I think we also we saw the ending of the Ember and Ashes series. Victoria Aveyard is, has a new book coming out after the Red Queen series. Like, there's just been a lot of sort of exciting news this year and and things I think people have been waiting for that... There was sort of just this attitude of like, 2020's rough, let's make people's lives a little bit more, and let's give them something to do in in quarantine. And I, for one, really appreciated it, because I did read like a 652-page monologue by Edward Cullen, and it was apparently exactly what I was looking for, so I'm okay with it. We talked about this, I think we talked about this around the time of Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and we talked about this with Twilight, but, and Michael has talked about a lot this, about this a lot too, but it's nice to just have like these entertaining things. Like this year it felt so precious, honestly. And even, I don't know if I would have read Midnight Sun if I wasn't writing for, for Bookstacked, but I enjoyed the experience. It was, I was surprised at how easy it was and how nice it was to kind of return to those characters. And, and there was just something, it was just nostalgic and it, it kind of felt, peaceful if that's the right word i don't know almost like at home in in a sense because it, it reminded me of better times and it was neat to 
to hear the voice of like Carlisle Colin or something or or Alice. She was always one of my favorites, you know. Uh, so it was pretty neat to to be able to return to those. Yeah, I think it's just the nostalgic feeling more than anything has been really strong throughout. I think entertainment in general this year, but especially especially those couple of YA releases were just really I think well placed. I don't know how much of it was was planned and how much of it was let's get these out there now, but um, they were they were appreciated little gifts from the YA publishing world. So I'll take them. All right, we have at least one more takeaway to go through, but I'm going to cut commercial break first. So we're going to hear from a word from our sponsors. Please don't leave. We're counting on you to be here when we come back. Looking for something to listen to after this podcast is over? We always suggest reading a book. And what better way to consume books than with Audible? In the subway or in the car, when you're mowing the lawn or doing dishes, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. You can always catch up on your TBR list with an audiobook. And for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash bookstacked. Audible selections includes books like Victoria Aveyard's Red Queen series and Tomi Ediemi's Children of Blood and Bone. Again, go to audibletrial.com slash bookstack for your free audiobook. And don't forget that even if you quit the trial, you get to keep the book. Um, so we've talked about, we've mentioned Rick Riordan, we've mentioned Suzanne Collins, Stephanie Meyer, and like how great it was to like see content and stuff coming out from them. You know who wasn't helpful this year? It was J.K. Rowling. <laughs> and I don't want to focus too much on that. But for me, it's kind of, it's part of a larger point. For me, my big takeaway was I feel like people are kind of demanding more accountability. And that's something I noticed this year. And even before the pandemic started, there was this huge event. And this is outside of YA, but this is still in the book world. Maybe you guys heard of a book called American Dirt. And that was supposed to be like the big book of 2020. That was going to be the big fiction novel of 2020. And it was about a a Mexican woman who was traveling a across the border with with her son but it was written by a white woman and there were all sorts of really complex it was it was just kind of a sticky situation and what you saw even before the pandemic was a lot of people just speaking up and talking about like well why don't we elevate voices of brown and latinx writers and stuff and for me that was great to see because i'm mexican american so like that that's a huge deal for me but we saw that throughout the entire year and of course, a lot of that was connected to like political events and movements. But, you know, this summer we saw this huge reckoning on race. Um, and we saw a lot of people talking about the importance of reading books from black writers and, and elevating black voices. And on the other hand, too, you saw, you saw a, what's the right word? Uh, a reaction or a, I can't, the word just left me. We, we saw a reaction to, to some of the stuff that J.K. Rowling was putting out in regards to, uh, trans people and trans lives. And I just saw, for me, there was a lot more of an insistence on accountability. We want publishers to be more accountable and we want them to be more inclusive and more diverse. And we want our authors to be, uh, more understanding and kinder and, and more open, open-minded and, I thought that was for sure a, a really good thing and something that I hope will continue. Um, even as I'm saying this, though, 
it was about a week ago, there was a New York Times uh, report that was published that was making the rounds on book Twitter. And you you see that there's still so much work to do, even with like that huge focus on people of color during the summer. Uh, most most best-selling authors are still white. Like if you look at this New York Times, I, I know I linked it at one point somewhere in Slack. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys saw it, but I'll link to it in the show notes too, the, to the New York Times article. But they just have a graphic where you can see like, uh, bestsellers from people of color versus bestsellers from white authors this year. And there's still a long, long way to go. Like there's just this little mountain, like in the summer months. And then it kind of like goes back down, uh, to where it was before. And even some of the statistics they had there, like in 2018, just 11% of the books, uh, published were written by people of color, according to the books that they were looking at, which I think they were looking at, um, major releases from, the big publishing houses. Anyway, all of that, a long way to say, I, I, there's still a long way to go, but it was also very appreciative. I, I felt very appreciative of the fact that a spotlight was being shined on this, this aspect of the publishing community. Yeah, I think there was a real focus in, I think I, I look more at YA book news than I do in general, but especially in YA book world this year of like own voices narratives about books about diversity coming from diverse writers. And that I think was a really important topic to discuss. I also think there was a lot more publicity played to diverse writers, especially in the back half of this year, big publishers like Penguin Teen or Epic Reads, um, really pushing forward their books that focus on, on diversity or, or come from writers who aren't white. And I think that is a really good sign um, because obviously publishing is a business like anything else where they're going to support the things that they know can do well. But also you get trapped in the fact that things can only do well if you give them attention and if you give them marketing power and if you put them in front of people. And I think one issue that was happening was that these diverse writers weren't getting the marketing power that the white writers were getting. And so they were, so it was like, oh, well, they don't do as well. What are you going to do? And it's like, no, if you put them forward and put them in front of readers the same way you put these other books in front of readers, they probably will do well because they are just as good, if not better. And we saw that, I think, this year, especially in, in the later months of these, these publishing companies really putting their marketing money towards this and, and these books doing well and these books coming out. I'm actually reading right now a Phoenix. First Must Burn, uh, which is a collection of short stories about women of color in fantasy and sci-fi environments. And for anyone who's who's interested um, in any of those things, I think it's an incredible read. And I really I think short stories are a great way to get into to anything. But just the fact that we're now hearing more about these books and and these are the books that we're we're seeing on like book Twitter or book YouTubers or Instagram, I think is really important and a really good development that came out of this year. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's good for us as, um, I mean, as readers and also, of course, those of us who, who write about books, who review books, who talk about books on podcasts. Um, I know a lot of our listeners are also, you know, booktubers and bookstagrammers and, and are involved in these ways. We should constantly be asking ourselves, like, who are we paying attention to and where are we giving our attention? Um, cause like Chelsea said, the, 
the books are out there. Like there are really, really well written, of course, amazing quality, the best books I've read in recent years from diverse authors that are, are totally available, but aren't catching enough attention. And that's on, um, you know, for a lot of things. And we can look at publicists and we can look at reviewers. We, you know, everybody plays a little role in that, I, I guess. Um, and so anyways, I guess just on a personal level, that's kind of where, where I've been reminded where I'm at in all these discussions is where am I paying my, my attention? Where am I putting my money as well? Of course, right? Cause this is an industry. So, you know, the other day when I'm at the bookstore, you know, it was interesting to me and I felt like it was a, a moment of personal growth. I don't know that it is, but that I walked right past the stand of, uh, of the Ichabog's, um, books from She Who Must Not Be Named. And it just, it wasn't interesting to me anymore. I was like, I, I don't, I'm not interested in, in, in what's in that book, frankly. And that would have made 12 year old me really sad, but you know, 27 year old me is really happy to move on and read something else and give my attention to someone who I personally feel good about uh, supporting and giving my money to and my attention to. Oftentimes when we when we look at reports like up in the New York Times and stuff and what we see here is we have a tendency to point our fingers at like the publishing house itself and the gatekeepers and I'm, they are 100%. <laughs> they have a role in this. I'm not trying to say they don't, but so do we. And I think that's something uh, great to point out. And even as you're saying that, it makes me wonder, like, well, do we need to, as, as at Bookstacked as a team, stop and look at what have we reviewed and what have we promoted this last year and where can we do better? You know, maybe that's a discussion we need to have. It, it just popped into my mind. <laughs> but but it would be a good discussion for us to, to have and I think probably a good, a good conversation for, for everybody to have with themselves or if they're part of any other team similar to ours. Even educators. I think we have a lot of teachers who listen to our podcasts and uh, who read our content on our website and kind of what what books are you sharing with with your students, you know, and how are you empowering them through reading and stuff like that. So those are some fantastic points for sure. We're going to go ahead and end it there. Um, thank you for listening. Again, we, we really appreciate it. You can follow the show on Twitter. We're at BookmarkedYA. You can also follow Bookstacked. Um, you can just look up Bookstacked on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. If you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Solmark. Uh, Mary, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Um, so I am also on Twitter at MKTD. So it's E-M-K-T-E-D-E-E. -E -E. And then I'm also on um, YouTube as Big on Books. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at ChelseaRegan17. Find me there. Yeah, I'm on Twitter um, at Spencer B. Miller. Um, and as well, I just want to plug, I recently started a, uh, a Bookstagram account um, where I focus on, uh, on YA books from Canadian authors and Indigenous writers here in Canada. And that's just uh, at YA Canada Books. So it's pretty simple <laughs> to find me. Um, but if you're interested in, in Canadian books in the YA genre or category, come check it. Come check it out. Thanks, guys. We will catch you all next year, 2021. <laughs> See ya. Bye. 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 Bye.